Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. Good afternoon. It really is an honor to stand here to share the word of God today. Thank you, Pastor Phil, for allowing me to be here. And so it's Mother's Day. It's awesome. So it's not really about us today, is it? Well, I think for everyone who is here, there's a woman in your life who say to God, it's okay for nine months to carry a child, to put on a few pounds, to go without their favorite cheese, just so you could be healthy and to be here. So for those women, we say, thank God. And today, it's just a day to honor them. Amen. And so today, I want to share with you the word of God. It's been a word that has encouraged me in my life. And I do pray and hope one or two of you sitting here would be encouraged as well. So I'm going to share from Genesis chapter 21, from verse 8 to 21. So Genesis chapter 21, verse 8 to 21. So before we read this passage of scripture, just to give you a little bit of background to it. In the Bible, there's a man called Abraham. A lot of us are familiar with Abraham. He is a great man. He's an upright man. A man who fears God. In fact, God chooses him and tells him he's going to have a son. And through his son, God's own chosen people would come from. And so Abraham is a good man. And so as God comes to tell him he's going to have a son, God does not tell him the timeline of events. He doesn't tell him when Sarah, his wife, will get pregnant. But God just tells him, you're going to have a son. Sometimes in our life, God speaks. He doesn't say when. And so we wait. We wait. We wait, and we wait. And so Abraham and his wife Sarah found themselves in that situation of waiting. Waiting gets boring. Waiting is trying to a character, but it also makes a character. So they waited and waited, and to the point size, looking at herself, she's getting older. A little bit older than me. She's getting on. In the eyes of men, the age is just not in her favor now. And so she decides probably what God meant is we could help him a bit. And so what she does, she suggests to her husband, maybe we could get one of our servants to sleep with you and produce an heir. And so that's what she did. Abraham agreed. And so they took Hagar, their servant, to produce an heir. Hagar got pregnant 
She gave birth to a son called Ishmael. Ishmael will be Abraham's first son. But the moment Ishmael is born, or the time, in fact, the time Hagar gets pregnant, the dynamics of their relationship in this family changes. She becomes puffed up. She's got an upper hand somewhere because Sarah has got, doesn't have what she's got. She now has a son for Abraham. Sarah doesn't have a son. So she pops up herself. So the relationship changes. And so Sarah didn't like it and there's friction. So Hagar runs away. God meets with her and tells her to come back to his um, master. She comes back. But even then, the relationships are strained. And so what happens now? What God has promised, what God had promised Sarah and Abraham, happens. Sarah gets pregnant. And so now Sarah is a son. Hagar is a son. But Sarah had not forgiven Hagar. She wants her out. So it happens there's a ceremony they did when they were winning the younger son, Sarah's son, Isaac. And so this is where we are going to catch the story. Amen? You still with me? Amen. So we're going to read uh, Genesis 21, 8 to 21. The child grew and was weaned. This is Isaac. And on the, on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had born to Abraham was mocking. And she said to Abraham, Get rid of that slave woman and the son, for that woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. The martyr distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. But God said to him, Do not be so distressed about the boy and your slave woman. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you, because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the slave into a nation also, because he's your offspring. Early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He set them on her shoulders and then sent her off with the boy. She, on, she went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went off and sat down about a bush or two for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. And as she sat there, she began to sob. God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy as he grew up. He lived in the desert and became an usher. While he was living in the desert of Paran, his mother got a wife for him from Egypt. Amen. And so it happens that when Sarah sees 
Ishma Mokin, your younger son. She doesn't like it very much. He, she tells her husband, send them away. It's as if Sarah finds the opportunity. Finally, Hagar and the son have got to go. And indeed, God tells Abraham, listen to your wife. And he distressed Abraham, the Bible says, because he's a good father. He loved his son. But he also had to listen to what God told him. So he let Hagar and Ishmael go. So Hagar and her son finds themselves in a desert. The Bible says she's wandering in the desert. But the angel of God comes to her. He calls her by name. He tells her, do not fear. Amen. And so we find Hagar, she had given her service to her master. She had been a good servant. I think if Sarah was choosing a servant to produce an heir, she wouldn't look for anyone who is not good. She was good. She served them well. She gave her best. They asked her for for a favor, if you like. Could you do this favor for us? She did it. She produced a son for them. She was loyal. But it seems the reward for all her loyalty is to be shunned away. Is to be sent off as if she does not matter. Is to be discarded as if she's broken. She's not needed. Go. It's unfair. It's unfair. And so in our lives, probably as we sit here, we'll have found ourselves in situations or we've just come out of situations. Or we are going to find ourselves in those situations. Where we come away thinking it's unfair. It's not right. It shouldn't have been me. Why is life so unfair to me? Probably we could relate to Hagar. We could relate, probably. She had a husband then, probably, though she would be a mistress. She had a good home then. She had a son. But now, she's sent away. Maybe we can relate. We gave our all in relationships. We pray about them. We give what we can. But we get nothing in return. In fact, we can be left in debt. We can shunned it away. We give our all. In this life, we give our all. In ministry, we give our all. But it seems we get nothing much. Sickness strikes. We lose our loved ones. We give our all at work as the Bible commands us to do. We serve our bosses. We serve the companies we work for. But all of a sudden, 
you are made to realize you don't really matter there. We feel it's unfair. We feel unfairly treated. Maybe we could relate to Ishmael. I grew up in a family of polygamy, if you like. My father had many wives. Dynamics in such a family, I'm, I'll be lying to you to say it was all, bless you, hallelujah. It's difficult. The jealousy. This, you, said, you said what you said. You looked at me in a funny way. Why did you do that? It's, it's, it's a, it becomes a mess sometimes. And so as I grew up, my relationship with my father was not good. I held such a grudge against him for a very long time. I came to know Christ, but I didn't understand why I felt the way I felt. But as the Holy Spirit revealed to me, I was holding on to such a grudge against my own father because of the way we had grown up. And maybe like Ishmael, we could relate. Some people, the fathers, we should have loved us. The day you were born, all of a sudden, they, they realize they are not meant for, for being a parent. So they walk away, leaving you and your mom to fend for yourself. And so maybe for a long time, you wonder. You carry something in you, thinking one day, I could speak to him and he could tell me, actually, he loved me. But that day has never come. So maybe we are now grown up men and women. What manifests in our lives now could be because of what we have carried for so long. Maybe the addictions, maybe the bouts of anger affecting those now we live with now, our spouses, our children paying for things that never did. Because we lash out at them, and yet it's something that happened to us years ago. Maybe we could relate to Ishmael. For years, he's known himself as his father's firstborn. This little man comes. He's displaced. He finds himself and his mom in a desert. Maybe we could relate. And so in such situations, what then are we to do? Yes, life is unfair. Yes, I've found myself, it hurts, it's not right. What are we to do? Can we learn one or two things from these characters? Can we trust God? Can we truly say, I can trust you, Lord. Yes, it seems unfair, but I trust you. Yes, we can. And so I'm just going to go through quickly just a few points that I think we could learn from the characters in this story. Amen. Amen. 
And so God calls us to pray. He calls us to pray. In verse 17 of Genesis 21, he says, God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. God heard the boy cry. The angel comes. This is, you'll find in the Bible, it's not the first time God hears the cries of his people. He hears, he goes to Moses and says, I heard the cry of my people. He hears the cry of his people. And so sometimes our tears can be prayers to God. Because most of the time when we are deeply hurt, our hearts are broken. Our lives are broken. We don't know what to say. We don't know whom to tell. We don't know what to do. Tears just come down. They just come down. And those alone can be our prayers to God because he hears. He hears your cry. In fact, King David in the book of Psalm 56 verse 8, he says this. You keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. Isn't that awesome to know? For anyone who is crying today, God is recording and he's collecting each and every teardrop. For any of your sorrows, he knows and he's recording them. This should give us joy. This should liberate us to know that we are being seen. That we are being heard. He calls us to pray. In the same verse, the angel says to Hagar, what is the matter, Hagar? So that's verse 17. God heard the boy crying and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what is the matter, Hagar? What is the matter? So imagine she's in a desert. She does not know what to do. Her voice comes. What is the matter? If I have a friend, I invite them for tea, and I know something is wrong or something is going on in their life. We sit down for a cuppa. And as we settle, I will ask the question, what is the matter? What am I doing? I'm inviting them to open up. I'm inviting them to have a conversation with me. I'm inviting them to tell me what's really, really bothering them. And so God comes to Hagar and says, what's the matter? He invites her to tell him honestly what she's feeling. The honest truth of how she's feeling. God knew what was happening already and we know. He knew every circumstance. He knew what had happened. But still he says, Tell me, what's the matter? 
So in our lives, God invites us to speak to him. Back to that intimate conversation with him. He asks us the honest truth from your heart. In fact, the same King David, I love the way David writes Psalms. In Psalm 51 verse 6, he says, But you desire honest from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. He's talking about when he was in mom's womb, that God desired honest even at that stage. That we'll be honest with God. We tell him exactly how we feel. We don't sugarcoat prayers. We tell him as it is. So we, he calls us to pray. Sincere prayers. If it means it's tears rolling on your eyes, pray to God. Pray to God. Amen. And so you find sometimes when we let things out, when we speak to somebody, I gave you an example of my life when, as I held a grudge with my father. You see, what happened is the Holy Spirit has started nudging me. You know, God speaks and sometimes we ignore. And he started nudging. And I knew. I just felt broken. Something is wrong with me. What is it? And I went to find a Christian friend. And I said, I just need to talk to you. So it was really a talk. It was more of just me going and going on and rumbling. And she just listened. But I'm glad I did it. Because it was the beginning of a journey of releasing what I, the grudge I had held for a long time. I'm glad I did it because a year later my father passed away. And so when God calls us to release what's bothering us, to tell him about, he knows why. He knows your tomorrow. So let's Tell him, let's offload to him. And we might find that we have no fear of tomorrow. And so God does not want us to fear. Do not fear. Do not fear. The angel of God comes to Hagar and tell her, do not fear. I've got the boy's life under control. I've got your life under control. Do not fear. She had a lot to fear. She's now a single mother in a desert. The food that, that Abraham had given her and the water had run out. There's a lot to fear. If something happens to you, what is she going to do? What will be the future for a son? What is it going to be? Who can hear her? Who can see her? She's alone. There's a lot to fear. And so some of us are sitting here. We are fearful. We fear. If people at work have judged you that way, that means I, I have no voice. You fear to try new things now. 
If our spouse left us and said some things that really hurt us, we now live in fear. If tragedy has been happening in our lives for a long time, or one tragedy after the other, we live in fear. If the parents who were meant to love us did not love us, who can love me? We live in fear. And so God this afternoon, he's saying to you, do not fear. I've got your back. I've got you. I see you. I hear you. I'm watching over you. Do not fear. And so some of us, if you read um, in the, in the um, verse we are reading, you'll find there's a point in Hagar, the Bible says she went a distance. She put the child under a bush and she walks away. She decides she doesn't want to see him die. It's a sad scene. It's sad to watch your son die. Some of us, God has given gifts in our lives. But we have turned our backs on them. What does it matter anyway? If life is like this, we have turned our backs to what God said we could be. Because life has been unfair. Things have not been going okay for me. Even if God said I could be good at that, what's the point? So we've turned our backs on it. But God is saying, do not fear. Turn around back again. He's got you. He will prosper you. He tells Egg, I'll prosper the boy. Turn back again. Do not fear. Proverbs 3 verse 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your understanding, with all your heart. Do not lean to your own understanding. Our understanding will tell us fear. Our understanding will tell us, I don't matter now. But trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Do not fear. Amen. In John 16, 33, Jesus says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. So we need to be encouraged. Take heart. Our master has overcome the world. Be encouraged. Jesus has overcome the world. Amen. Amen. God also wants to reveal to us his divine provision. He wants to reveal to us his divine provision. The Bible says, then God That's on verse 19. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. God opened her eyes. Isn't that amazing? In the 
New Testament, we see Jesus opening eyes of people again and again. And when they see, they shout, now I can see. He wants to open our eyes that we can walk out today saying, I was once blind, but now I can see. What I can see is what God can do. For too long, we've just been blinded to what men can do. We've given our lives into the hands of men, relied on them, let them play with our lives around. And we, we don't see the God who's just waiting to open our eyes so we can see what he can do. So he wants to open our eyes so we can see. I'm sure when Hagar's eyes were opened, she was almost dying. With Her son was almost dying. She sees the water, that the well. God opens her eyes. She sees the well. <sighs> You'll find she actually lived in that desert. She didn't go anywhere. Why? Because there is an everlasting provision from God. This is a desert. Who sets up women in a desert? But you can. Why? Because when there's a provision of God, it stops being a desert. Amen. The Bible says Abraham gave Hagar and Ishmael some water and some food. But that did run out. Men's provisions will run out. Our jobs could give us good salaries. But we all know <laughs> that doesn't last. We could marry spouses who give us a good living. It doesn't last. The world can give us if we please people enough we can be given stuff. It does not last. Only God's provision will last. Amen. Amen. Jesus meets the woman at the well in John 4 verse 14. He says these words to you, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. He says it will become in them. Okay? We need to catch that. The water that Jesus gives will become in them. And it springs up to eternal life. In them. Amen. It's a God wants us to see what he can provide. For those of us who are thirst. For those of us who know. We could never quench our own thirst. There's a well. In fact, Hagar's eyes had been bled and blinded to the provision of God. The pain, the hurt. It had blinded her to see what God 
what the, the world that was around her. And so sometimes our vision has been blurred. Our sight has been blinded. Our brain has been mad. We can't even pray anymore. Because what we do is 24-7, whatever situations are happening, whatever unfairness has happened, it's consuming our minds. It's consuming our living. It's consuming everything we do. We can't even speak to God anymore. So our eyes have been blinded. What is it that has blinded your eyes? God wants you to see. And so as Jesus said himself, in this world you will have troubles, but I have overcome. There's nothing much we can do about stopping trouble happening, but we can do something about how we react in such situations. And so in those moments, God is calling us to pray. In those moments, God is calling us to pray. He's telling us not to fear, but to trust him. Do not lean on your own understanding, but trust God. And there's a provision that only he can provide. Only he can provide. In Luke 4 verse 18, Jesus asserts his mission. And so he reads a scroll as he enters into a synagogue. They give him a scroll to read. He reads this, what prophet Isaiah foretold about him. So in Luke 4 verse 18, it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives. And recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty them that are bruised. My friends, I don't know about you. But I've been broken hearted before. I've been poor in spirit and in material things. And if you are like me. You are Jesus' mission, my friend. He came for you. He'll keep coming for you. And you find that in the Old Testament, God will hear the cries of his people. He hears the Israelites. He hears the cries of Ishmael. But God does not just stop there. In the New Testament, he said, it's not just enough that I stay up there as God. He sends his son. That he can walk in the world you're walking in. That he can taste the food that we eat. That he could sit in places that we sit. My friend, if that's not love, I don't know what it is. He understands you. He knows your world. And then as his, Jesus is walking in our world, as he's come through a womb of a woman, he becomes human. He feels our pain. And he assesses that my mission is to heal the brokenhearted. My mission is for the poor of this world. Amen. 
Amen. In Isaiah 55, verse 1, he says this. Come to me, all you who are thirsty. Come to the waters and you. We have no money. Come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk. Without money and without cost. Where have we had that? We could go and buy without money. Those who are thirst, come. Jesus say, come. Come. If you are thirst, you know you can't quench your thirst. You know your job cannot do it. You know your marriage cannot do it. You know your friendships cannot do it. Come to Jesus. He'll quench your thirst. In him, there's a well we can drink from. In him, we can drink living waters. In him, there's a well of hope for the hopeless. In him, there's a well of joy for the brokenhearted. There's a well of peace for those without peace. There's a well of power for the weak. There's a well of salvation for the lost. My friends, God bless you. And let's come to Jesus. Thank you for listening. And we trust that the word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.